I think probably um, I was in about the fifth grade. We had gone to the lake and were swimming and doing the picnic thing that we do sometimes with children's ministries. And at this lake, there was this tower. It's about 15 or 17 feet. It seemed like 100 feet because I was young. And you know where this is going. And everybody said, need to jump off the tower. Need to jump off the tower. Now, there's a list of about 48 things in life that I did not want to do. And on that list, very near the top was jump off that tower. I don't really like heights now. I really didn't like heights then. But the pressure was there. Everybody's got to jump off the tower. So I start up the ladder. I remember the wooden ladder kind of built into the tower. I'm going up and there's people behind me and there's people in front of me. There was no going back. I got to the top of the tower and my knees were just shaking. In front of me was 17 feet of air. Did I mention I don't like heights? Behind me were all my friends going, you've got to jump off the tower. I could turn around and go back and be made fun of. I could jump off the tower and die. I stepped to the edge of the tower. And I don't remember how long I paused, but there was a pause and I jumped. And I jumped on the pretext of knowing that really in reality, I probably wasn't going to die. And guess what? Here I am. I didn't die. I hit the water, came up, and all of a sudden, yeah, man, you've got to climb the tower. But it didn't happen that way, and it didn't feel that way until I exercised faith. Our wonderful sister just sang this in great powerful song in an awesome way. And she was right that in this building today, there are people and there are lots of problems. There's lots of situations. We faced this one with Rowena Brown this week. And, and like I said, she's safely now in the arms of Jesus. And we don't know arrangements, by the way. We'll advertise those as soon as we find those out. But all of us have these things we go through in life that are problems. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we are challenged to act in faith And to take the plunge like I did that day and believe God. Um, Patrick Overington wrote this thing. I've I've referenced it several times. And by the way, um, Carletta Hanks was kind enough to run these for me. And there's a bunch of them on there, 125 of them, on the welcome desk. If you don't have a copy of this, I really want to encourage you to get one. I'll put it up there for you, but here's what it says. He defines faith as this. When you have come to the edge of all light that you know, the tower... And are about to drop off into the darkness of the unknown. I was there. Faith is knowing one of two things will happen. There will be something solid to stand upon. Or you'll survive. Or you'll be taught how to fly. There will be something solid to stand on. Or you will be taught to fly. Today, the more I say this message, the more excited I got about it. Because I know us. I know me. And I know y'all. And I know us. I know the ones on the radio. No, I've never met you personally. I know the ones who are going to listen on the internet um, when this thing is finally posted. I know us. 
And we come to the edge and it's frightening sometimes. It might be the dreaded C word. It might be surgery. It might be the birth of a child and you're going, it didn't even come with an owner's manual. What do I do? It may be the first time you realize that your child is no longer seven, that they're 13. And all of a sudden, all of those things that happen in this teenage world begins kicking in. And you are frightened to death. And what do you do as a believer in Jesus Christ? How do you respond? Well, we have a great story from the Word of God today um, from Luke chapter 7. And we've journeyed through Luke chapter 7. And we'll finish that tonight, by the way. Luke 7, you want to come back at 6. Um, in Luke 7, we've entitled the message today, Frail Faith. And here I want to tell you about a guy today who was like, like a rock star Christian. He was a rock star believer in Jesus Christ. And there's like so much we can learn from him today that will help us as we journey. As I looked at it, you know, the first half, we kind of learn what happens when faith goes south and, and what's, the, what's, what's the answer to that. But then we also, and boy, believe me, we need this. We also learn how to help those whose faith might be frail. You know, we're the most, with the Christian army is one of those things, we, we're the most prepared army who never goes to the war. And we're the army, only army I know that regularly shoots its own wounded. If a person has frail faith and, and stumbles and falls, rather than doing what we should do, as we're going to learn with Jesus today, we're often pretty quick to pick a gun up and want to shoot um, our own brothers and sisters. And where's your faith? And why couldn't you? And this and that. So I'm really excited about all that we can learn today. Now, our, our central character, of course, is Jesus. But our, our other central character is John the Baptist, not John the Apostle, John the Baptist. Now, I want to read a portion of Luke chapter 3 just so you can get a, a picture of who he was and what his job was and, and what he did. And, and this is, John, this is the, probably like the second cousin, maybe third cousin of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like Jesus, he had a miraculous birth. It wasn't virgin born, um, but, but Zacharias and Elizabeth were well old and they'd never had a child. And all of a sudden, she becomes pregnant and uh, in her old age. And John was born for a very specific purpose. And that was to foretell, to be a foreteller of the Lord Jesus Christ as Messiah. So if you want to, you can take a peek at Luke chapter 3. It's going to be on the screen in just a moment. Um, and we're going to start reading verse number 7. And this is the New King James Version. But, but kind of it gives you an idea of who this John the Baptist guy was. And he's out. We, we already got started. He's a, he's a guy. He's an older guy. Older being like, like an adult. And, and he's like a radical preacher. Okay? He's like really out there. And you're going to see some of that in, in his teaching. The Bible says in verse 7, Then he said to the multitudes, the, the people that came out, And by the way, John the Baptist never took Dale Carnegie's course, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Never took that course. Because he says, he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers! Isn't that encouraging? Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Are you not already encouraged by the reading of God's word today? It gets worse. So then the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? He answered and said to them, if you have two, tonic, two tunics, 
Let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Now remember, fruits of repentance. Not for repentance, but evidence that you have turned, you have repented. Then the tax collectors, tax collectors said, also can you be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? So he said to the tax collectors, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. So the soldiers came, verse 14. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? The dreaded Roman soldiers. So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. Verse 15. Now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ, the Messiah, or not. Verse 16. John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fan, and this references to the, the, uh, the gleaning of wheat, they would throw the wheat in the air, and the wheat was heavier and it would fall, and the wind would catch the chaff and blow it away. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with inquenchable fire. Whoa. Very powerful scriptures indeed. So, so John has proclaimed, same guy, remember in John chapter 1? You know, when Jesus showed up, he goes, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So all this, this is who John was. He was a foreteller. He was a very fiery preacher. Very passionate about the things of God. Very passionate about Jesus. And so, he makes the king mad, basically. Another story, because he had married his brother's wife. And so John ends up in prison. And that's where he is now. So the, so the setting of the story is, this fiery preacher is no longer out in the wilderness preaching. He's now in prison. And he's hearing what Jesus is doing. So we pick up our scripture in Luke chapter 7, verse number 18. Then John's disciples told him about all these things. Well, what is all these things? Well, it goes something like this. If you look at Luke chapter 6 and Luke 7, it goes something like this. John goes, so, so what's going on with the Messiah, you know, Jesus? Well, um, he, he's picked some disciples. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. Um, seminary grads? Uh, no. Losers. Losers? What do you mean losers? Well, they're fishermen. They're this and they're that. Eh? John, they're just ordinary people. You're kidding me. No, and John, I, we don't have to break this news to you, but one of them is a tax collector. What? What? The very men I preached to and said, you need to repent. He's got one of those on the team? Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's got one of those. Uh, what else? Well, he's a boat rocker. What do you mean he's a boat rocker? This is the Messiah you're talking about. No, no, he's a boat rocker. He, he worked on the Sabbath. I mean, there was a guy there with a hand that was, wouldn't, wouldn't work, and, and he healed it on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees and the scribes were accusing him of being a Sabbath breaker. John goes, you're kidding me. Yeah, he's a boat rocker. Well, what else? Well, well um, he, he preached this message. Yeah, 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 preacher, yeah. He, he talked about, Johnny said we're supposed to love our enemies. You know the Romans? 
We're supposed to, to love them. He goes, love the Romans? Those, those scallywags need to repent. Remember we talked about that. I'm just telling you. He said, love, love your enemies. What else do you say? Well, John, you know, you're a really fiery preacher and, and you really laid it out like it was. Yeah, yeah. He said we shouldn't judge. What? Shouldn't judge. We shouldn't be a stone caster. What? Yeah, he's, he's really big on this, not judging people. Well, what else? You're really not going to like this one, John. And he goes, well, I hadn't heard very much I liked anyway, so what's next? A Roman centurion sent people to him and said that his, his servant was deathly ill and needed to be healed. And John, he healed the Roman's servant. No. No. No way. I'm telling you, John, it happened. And John, that's not the worst part. He even said he's never seen greater faith in all of Israel than the Roman centurion exercise. Enough. Enough. Surely this can't be true. Of the man that I said I'm not worthy to even fasten his sandal. Is there anything else? Well, he raised a man back to life. A man that was dead. John said, well, that's, that's pretty good. He says, yeah, but John, he touched the coffin. He, he, he became ceremonially unclean. And John's just shaking his head going, What? Now, let me tell you one thing I want you to know. If there's one thing John the Baptist knew, if there's one thing he believed to his core, he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. But watch. The Bible says after all of that, and you may say, well, how did that happen? Because what he says is this. So John summoned two of his disciples, John's disciples, And sent them to the Lord saying, Are you the one who is to come or should we look for someone else? The man who knew to his core that Jesus was the Messiah sends messengers to the Messiah and says, Are you really him or should we look for someone else? Now, how does a guy that's rock solid with knowing Jesus is the Messiah, how does he get there? If you're, if you're a note taker, write this down. And this is not an inclusive, all-inclusive list, but I think it's very important. One, I, I really, really believe the doubt was caused by his circumstances. He's locked in prison. Now, I don't care. You know, you can believe about the sovereignty of God all you want to. But when you're looking out through bars day after day after day, and your future is very, very uncertain, that can really breed And some of you are in circumstances today that if you're not careful, they could be a deal breaker with you and God. It may be an unfaithful spouse. It may, again, be that dreaded cancer word. Um, It may be um, a marriage that never has been what you thought it should be. It may be children that you just don't think you can control or raise and you're fearful about the future and their future. It It might be where... Believers, other believers have let you down. It may be a pastor who's let you down. It may be that you're disappointed the way America's turned out. 
Item after item. You could put it there, but you're there in those circumstances, and to you, you're looking through the bars. And it seems very, very doubtful if God's really in control and God's really sovereign. It can happen to anybody. Listen, if it could happen to John the Baptist, it can happen to you. And you know what? It can happen to me. But I think there's one more thing. The circumstances were one thing, but there's another that's, again, if you're a note taker, write this down because I know, I know, I know where we are. And that is unmet expectations. You see, that list I read to you, uh, he's, the guys he called were not exactly the best clientele. He, he violates the law. He, he loves um, enemies. He tells you don't judge people. He healed a Roman centurion and then said, boy, that's what I call faith. He, he raised a dead guy, but in the process was willing to be ceremonially declared unclean. This is the guy that John said, and when he comes, he will have the willing fan in his hand, and he will gather the wheat into his barn, but the rest shall be quenched by fire. And John's not seen a lot of fire. In fact, I would say this. If there's a word that may describe the emotions of John right now, the word compromise might come to his mind. Whatever expectations he had of who Jesus was to be and and what Jesus was to do and how he was to do it, somehow that wasn't lining up in his mind. And I think that led him to say, are you really him? Or should we look for another? And I'm telling you, in this room are not one, are not five, perhaps dozens of people who you are disappointed because God didn't measure up what you thought he ought to do. It might be judging someone else. It may be something in your life that's going on. You, some, some preacher told you that when you signed up with Jesus, that every day was going to be a sunny day, and bad people had bad things, and good Christians had good things, and you've had nothing but junk in your life since then, and you're going, it somehow doesn't measure up. And you've got doubt today. And you've got doubt today. You've got doubt today. And you've got doubt today. Don't think you're in bad company. Because just perhaps most of us at some time or another have been where you are maybe right now. Certainly the guy who was rock solid on who Jesus was, the unmet expectations caused him to doubt. Pretty heavy in it. Can I just say something? That is never where God wants you to be. That is never where God wants you to be. He's got a much higher level for you to live at than living in the realm of doubt with with unmet expectations and a victim of your circumstances. So what is going to be Jesus' response to all this? I mean, come on. I know us. And the response of Jesus probably is not the response we would give. So let's see what he does. The Bible says in verse number 21, so at that time, and by the way, I kind of didn't tell you, but you got it, I think. You know, the guys went, 
to Jesus as they were commissioned by John and went to Jesus and said, okay, hi, we're from John. And John, the guy who was rock solid about you, knowing you were the Messiah, wants to know something. He wants to know, um, are you the one or should we look for somebody else? Isn't that an embarrassing thing to do? I mean, I remember Rebecca used to make Jennifer go to the door and say trick or treat because of Halloween because she was so shy and embarrassed. You'd never know that now, would you? I mean, I'm telling you, the woman's got an opinion for everything. <laughs> Look at her nod her head. That's right. She's her mama. She is her mama. Judy may not have blonde hair naturally, but I'm telling you, she's her mama. So anyway, so, so they show up and ask Jesus this. Now, Jesus could have got all huffy. This is where I'm so glad God is God. He could have got all huffy and say, what do you mean? You want to get me huffy? Just go back here and say... Can you preach shorter sermons? I just might get a little huffy with you. Okay? So, so I'm, you know, not, no, no, look. Not me and you, Terry. And George is in heaven, so we're good. So at that time, here's what, look, look. I don't know if Jesus said, can you hang around a little bit? I don't know if he said, let me get back to you. I don't know. But the Bible says, at that time, after they showed up, Jesus healed many people of diseases, of plagues like leprosy. He he cast out evil spirits, demons out of people. And he granted sight to many blind people. So Jesus apparently said, let me get back to you. Just hang around and watch. And Jesus begins showing a mastery over illness over sickness, hello, listen carefully, over circumstances, even over hell and Satan himself and itself. Is that not incredible? And then Jesus speaks. And then he replied to them. And, and what he does is he gives a snippet of, of scriptures. Write these down real quick. I won't read them because of time. Isaiah 26, 19. Isaiah 29, 18 and 19. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. And lastly, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. These are snippets from those prophecies about the Messiah. Then Jesus replied to them and said, Go report back to John. And tell him the things that you've seen and heard. Tell him how there are people who are crippled with blindness. And they can now see. Tell them how that the... um, the lame people, the ones who can't walk, can now, now walk. Tell them that those with skin diseases, those with leprosy, which was called walking death, there was no cure. Tell them the ones with leprosy are healed. Tell them that there are ears that were deaf and now they can hear. Tell them that dead are being raised to life. And I've got to pause a moment and say that's physically and spiritually. Because the Bible says we are dead in trespasses and sin without Jesus Christ. So, so tell him that there are people physically being raised from the dead. And there are people spiritually being raised from the dead. And, and the poor are being told the gospel. The poor are being called the good news. Go back and tell John that, that he's not getting the whole picture. Either because of his circumstances or because of unmet expectations. But you tell him this. Tell him that I may not be meeting his expectations, but I'm meeting God's expectations. And that's what matters. And he says that in in a way in verse 23. He says, 
And anyone who is not offended because of me is blessed. Now, this is, if it's a chastisement, it's so mild. He's saying, John, I know probably that I'm not, I'm not meeting your expectations. That, that when you were given this by God, who I was going to be and how I was going to do ministry, I understand just like the Jewish people were not expecting a suffering Messiah, you thought that this fire and this brimstone, and boy, did Jesus get fiery? Yeah, but he's very compassionate too. So I know I'm not meeting your expectation, but, but John, these scriptures I'm telling you from Isaiah, John, scripturally, I'm proving I am the Messiah. Now, let me share this with you. All pastors at one time or another have made statements that we overstretch what we should. And, and, and probably in a moment of urgency to get someone to receive Christ, someone to pray a prayer, We'll make promises on God that they're not right. And you hear it today, if you want a belly full of it, just turn on Christian television. Now again, I'm not going to mention a name, and I'm not going to cast any stones. Well, if there are some guys out there and girls out there who are really making some promises about God that just aren't found in the Bible. And here's the bad part. That leads you to a place of unmet expectations. That, that leads you to a place of doubt and confusion. You need to understand something. That the greatest thing and the best thing and really what the gospel talks about is that if you'll come to a place where you understand you have sinned and you're willing to turn from that sin and believe in the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ and the atonement And by that you are forgiven, you turn from your sin, and you follow Jesus Christ. The best, the greatest, and the most wonderful thing ever happened to you is you have been freed from the threat of hell. Your sins have been forgiven, and you are in relationship with holy God. That's a big amen. That's a big amen. Now, what we've done is we put that somewhere on the list. We'd much rather God be the the gift giver, God to be the job finder, God to be the marriage fixer, uh, you know, God to clean up our messes, God to do this. And, And then we go, oh, God's so great and wonderful. Don't you understand and don't I need to understand that God is great and wonderful because of what Jesus did on Calvary. Everything else is gravy. And you may be blessed and get healed because he's a healing God. And you may see your marriage restored. He's a restoring God. But please don't judge God only on that basis where he meets those needs. Understand, our greatest need was Calvary. And he's an awesome God because of what he did. John, I realize I may not be meeting all your expectations. But I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And John, being obedient to my father is the greatest expectation. John, I know you're in a difficult place, but John, you'll be blessed. Don't be offended by who I really am. John, believe what you know to be true in your heart. So if you're here today and you're disappointed, things, something's happened in your life and it did not make any sense to you. It left you hurt. It left you discouraged. It left you confused about God and who He is. If God is so good, then why am I so hurting? May I encourage you to go back to the anchor of hope? May I encourage you today, like Jesus pointed to John, and said, John, here's your anchor. It's Calvary. It's the sacrificial death. If you ever doubt the goodness of God, just go back 
2,000 years ago. And remember Calvary, where God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Every day, crawl out of that bed, get on your face, get on your knees, or sit in your recliner like I do and say, God, I don't know what today is going to hold. I don't know how the doctor appointment is going to go. I don't know how the surgery is going to go. But I know this. I'm saved. And I'm saved and that's enough. I'm saved and I'm not going to hell and that's enough. You love me enough, Jesus died. That's enough. That's enough, God. So we are faced to... What is our responsibility about those who with frail faith? What do we do with the ones who are discouraged and disheartened, who, who quit going to church, who quit reading their Bible, who, who just seem to have walked away from God? What do we do? I think Jesus at least begins to answer that in reference to John and our responsibility. I think it's always got to do what Jesus does. Here's what it says. So... John's messengers left. And so as they walk off to go report back to John, he began to speak to the crowds about John. And, you know, again, if it was us, we'd go, can you believe that loser? He, he was so strong in his faith and he failed so miserably. That's what we, but look what Jesus does and take a lesson from the word of God. It's here that we learn. And boy, do we need to learn this lesson Does the pastor need to learn this lesson? Here's what he says. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? I was amazed. I was listening to a preacher preach one day recently. He says, we don't get this. But do you understand that it was probably 40 miles to where John was preaching from Jerusalem? We don't get this. The journey from Jerusalem... To where John was saying, repent, was 40 miles. So Jesus says, so why did you walk the 40 miles? Did you go to see a reed swaying in the wind? Did you go hear a man that's on this side of the issue and that side of the issue? Did you go hear a man, see a man who, who would tickle your ears and whatever you wanted to hear, he would tell you? And the people would go, well, no, that's, that's not why we walk 40 miles. No, no, it wasn't because he tickled our ears. It was because he told us the truth. That's why we went. And, and then Jesus said this. Well, what then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft robes? Look, those who are spindly dressed and live in luxury are in royal palaces. Did you go out to see a charlatan in it for the money? Did you go out and see him in his three-piece robe? In his tie? Did you go out to see him and, and see the suave speaker? They said, no. Now, he ate locusts and, and wore skins. There wasn't anything suave about John. And Jesus said, you're exactly right. He was authentic. He wasn't the fanciest guy in town, but he's the only deal in town. That's why you went. And then Jesus said this. What then did you go out to see in verse number 26? A prophet. Authenticity. A man... A man of God. And Jesus said, yes, I tell you, and far more than a prophet. Now write this down. 
Jesus said, did you go see a prophet? Yes. I want to tell you, he was more than a prophet. Do you notice he said this after the doubt? Did you know that doubt... I hear what I'm fixing to say. It's huge. Did you know that doubt doesn't change who God thinks you are? Did you know doubt doesn't disqualify you from service? This is huge, guys. God didn't go, sorry, John, you're a a postscript. You were a prophet, but now you're a loser. You were a prophet, but you're no longer a man of God anymore. You were, but you're not now. No, 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 no. Listen, his doubt, and I'm going to say his failure to believe, did not change who God said he was. And it's true about you, too. If you truly know Jesus Christ, now if you've got a dose of religion, you're in deep weeds. If you got dunked and you're hoping on that to get you to heaven, you're in deep weeds anyway. And I'm going to tell you something. If you're counting on being a Baptist to get you to heaven, you need to double repent. Ain't going to happen. But if you have genuinely been born again, God's not there going with his pencil, line your name out, erasing it. Line your name out, erasing it. Line your name out, erasing it. You, dear friend, if you've experienced God's amazing grace, you are a child of God. And nothing you or Satan or all of hell can do to change that. He's a prophet. He's more than a prophet. He said, this is the one that was written. I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. I tell you, he says. Even with the doubt, I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John. Of all, take your heroes. Take Abraham. Take David. Take Noah. Take take whatever one you want to grab in the Old Testament. But Jesus would tell you, of all the men born of women, he is the great. Not was. Not wasn't until... He is. He is. And then he says something that's a little different. But, he says, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now, he's not saying that John's not in the kingdom of God. But there's a passing. There's a transition occurring. There there was a whole covenant, the old covenant, written pointing to And John was part of that pointing to. But now the the one they were pointing to is on the ground. He's simply saying that John is not a part of the kingdom ministry that was then occurring. It was time to leave John and that message of he's coming in the past. You want to know why? Because he wasn't coming anymore. He's here. He's here. John, amazing man. But it's time to move from a faith that says he's coming to ascertaining in your heart he is here. And in our case, he's our Savior. He's our Lord. He died. He was buried. He resurrects. And he lives. Now we end today with with the crowd and two opinions. In verse number 29, And when all the people including the tax collectors, heard this, 
They acknowledged God's way of righteousness. Now listen why. Because they had been baptized with John's baptism. Didn't save them. But they believed God's message of turn, repent, repent. And they, because they had repented, were willing to hear the message of Jesus. And then there's this other group. And the Bible makes it very clear. Verse 30. But since the Pharisees and experts in the law had not been baptized by him, they rejected the plan of God for themselves. So we have two people, two groups, and and I'll I'll make this very quick. There's one here who rejected God's plan. And those of our friends here today who have never received Jesus Christ. You're lost. You are in desperate need of a Savior. You are separated from God by your sins. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And the answer to that is not being baptized, but faith in Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And I love it because people want to go, yeah, but that's so narrow. Narrow? You can be any denomination. You can be any skin color. You can be any economic situation. You can live any point on the face of the earth. And the Bible says, Jesus says, come. That's wide open to me. That's not narrow. Then there's the other us. Those of us who know Jesus. And it calls us to a decision today. Are we going to continue to believe in the Jesus that we want him to be or the Jesus that he is? If we insist on believing in the Jesus that we want him to be, let me tell you what you can expect. More disappointment, more confusion, more doubt. But if you will finally anchor your faith in the Christ of the cross... And you may be nuts. I don't understand. I don't, I don't even like it. But I know this. That my God, my Savior, is sovereign. That means He is in control. Cancer's not in control. Satan's not in control. Uh, boy, thankfully the government's not in control. My God is in control. And I may be in difficult circumstances. I may be looking through bars today. But I'm going to anchor my faith in the Christ of the cross. And the incredible truth, take this home. It's worst case happens and you're anchoring your faith. But one day you wake up and go, but just like John did. You won't find a God who scratches your name out of the book. You won't find a God who in parentheses next to your name puts failure. Because see... You are what you are and who you are by God's grace, not by your performance. I'm so glad for Peter. I'll never deny you. Whoops. Heard any roosters lately? So my invitation is this. If you've never put your faith, not in the cross, but in the Christ of the cross. Knowing that he took the full wrath of God and paid the price for our sins, that people like us can come in a relationship with God. My brother Brent's going to be standing down front. And we don't want to embarrass you. That's not our point. My point is, you've got questions, and we can answer some of those for you. No one has all the answers, but we'll do our very best. We'll invite you to come in relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, which is the only way.
And my audience today, radio, in the internet, and right here in this room, I know there are people who are struggling with doubts. First off, all of us who are not at the moment, put your rocks down. Put your rocks down. Jesus was not a rock chucker, neither should we be. You're not, well, in that compromise, that's not compromise, it's love. It's compassion, like our Savior. And if you're here and you're struggling with doubt, one, anchor in the cross. Two, find some non rock chucking believers. And have yourself surrounded with them and have them pray for you. Be authentic. It tickles me. You know, Brendan and Truth, we walk down the church hallway and, how you doing? Fine. I mean, your heart is broken. You are devastated. You have your eyeballs in trouble. Fine. Fine. We think we have to put on this plastic mask. Let's be a community of believers where it's okay to say, I'm struggling. I'm hurting. I'm really in deep weeds. And I want to open the altar up today. If you're struggling today, if you're going through a situation, the Brown family, um, Madeline Carr just going through breast cancer surgery. People lost, some of y'all have lost children. Some of y'all going through a broken marriage. If you want to come today, we're going to end our service today with just a word of prayer. And we're going to declare our faith in God. Our lack of understanding, perhaps, but our faith in God. And again, if you're here today without Jesus Christ, this is all a mystery to you. Come talk to Brent. We'll try our best to give you some biblical answers about how you can come in a relationship with God. Let's pray. Father, I can't tell you what a privilege it was for me to share this word today. You are incredible, and your word is so incredible. I'm so glad, God. That you led the Holy Spirit to allow Luke to include this story for us. Because God, we're all there sometimes. Even us who try to be pretty solid in our faith, we sometimes wrestle. And you gave us this story today to let us know that, hey, I love you. I'm not going to reject you. You gave it to us to teach us. How do we help people with frail faith? You even gave it to us today so someone here could hear about a man named Jesus who loved them so much. So God, the invitation is yours. I'm a mouthpiece today. Holy Spirit, only you can change hearts. Only you can draw hearts. We acknowledge that today. Please have your way in the folks today. And Jesus, I pray this in your name. Amen.